Stefan's our youth director here, doing a great job. This is great. Actually, this entire series was Stefan's idea to study and to consider all of the Passover, or all of the Jewish festivals through the Bible, and then how they come forward, and then it's a bringing us out of the desert just like the Jews did. Okay, mm-hmm. I'm not going to preach your cool. sermon. Yeah. Oh, you go. Oh, can we get the slide up here, out of the desert slide? Fifth and sixth grade, wave, hey. Hey, nice one, you're in here, good job. <laughs> okay, let's look at this festival, this Passover. Um, but we'll start out with a little story. I lived in Seattle the past couple years, and I was part of a community there who celebrated Dia de los Muertos, right, with the skeletons. And uh, it was really fun, but I didn't know what it was all about when I was there. I was like, okay, we're going to celebrate this festival, but it seems kind of freaky. There's skeletons, there's skulls, there's weird stuff going on. But they spent hours, 50 man hours on this sand painting on the ground that was beautiful. And it's kind of in, in uh, like, there's an altar uh, above it that's like to remember people who have passed on before us, to remember saints, because it's on All Saints Day. But I didn't know what this was all about. And uh, it's really about remembering saints Oh, and we had the best Mexican food. Oh, my gosh. It was so good. But that's not the point. The point is remembering these people who have gone before us who have uh, followed Christ and who are examples for us. It's about our heroes. It's about remembering family who have passed away. Um, But ultimately, the reason we have these images and everything associated with the festival of Dia de los Muertos is it's about deliverance from death. It's about the hope that we have, um, about how Christ rescues us from death. But we would never know that as, as Halloween-smothered Americans. I had no idea. I was just thinking candy. Um, but there's this, this culture, this whole rich meaning associated with this festival. Um, there's all these symbols that have really deep, deep meanings and are really moving. And this festival became moving for me because... My grandpa had recently passed away, and I put his name on that altar of people to be remembered and to be prayed for and to thank God for their lives, and we could look forward in hope. But so we have all these, all these culture and festivals like Christmas and Easter and all these things, and they also have meanings and symbols associated with them. And hopefully our hearts will like flutter with excitement when a child asks during Christmas or Easter, why, why is this day any different than another day? What, it has distinct meals, distinct rituals and symbols and all that. And hopefully this is an opportunity to convey meaning and to communicate truths about God and each other in the world, right? But I, we might be kind of enslaved to consumerism. I mean, just think of the commercialization of Christmas. Um, hopefully we don't miss these opportunities when, when, the, when it arises to convey this meaning. And the, uh, there's all the hustle and bustle of the holidays. And it's kind of sad. Some of the symbols have just become marketing tools. But let's look at this festival. So there's all this rich meaning and symbols in Passover. And Jesus celebrated Passover, and it has profound meaning in what he's communicating through the gospel, through his life, death, and resurrection. Um, let's look at 
Scripture, so we're going to make some observations about Scripture. Remember last week we talked about desiring pure milk, and so we're going to try to get some milk out of this, some sustenance. Um, Jesus uh, mentions Passover three times in his life, and one of the main times is John 6, John 2, John 11. And then we're going to look at some psalms that they sung uh, during the liturgy and all that. But pay attention to some themes. One key theme is manna. So we read about in 1 Corinthians this unleavened bread without yeast. Remember manna when we think of that. And remember the main character of the Exodus story, Moses. Okay, let's look at this festival that was celebrated during Jesus' time. So it's a pilgrimage feast. All the people, all the men of Israel are required to travel to Jerusalem to make a sacrifice and have this celebration. So Jerusalem grows during this time from like about 30,000 people, which is about like the permanent population of Summer County, to about 100,000 people, which is about the population of Summer County during the holidays. <laughs> I can imagine the local Jerusalemites being like, man, watch out for the camels with the Galilee plates. They have no idea how to drive in this up in the mountains. <laughs> Mark would say, oh, they're from Nazareth. They can't help it. But all these people travel to Jerusalem because it's focused, this festival is focused on the temple. Remember from last week, we're the new temple, right? Jesus has made heaven and our hearts one. So just remember that from last week. This festival took place in spring, so there's all these themes of new life, right? All the agriculture is starting to grow, green stuff is happening, all the animals are having new babies, right? So there's a bunch of new life. Um, let's look at the origin. Where did this festival come from? Why did, why did the Jews during Jesus' time celebrate this festival? How did they get it? The answer is Exodus. Let's go to Exodus 12. 21 through 23. So remember the whole story of Exodus. It's God bringing his people out of slavery and through the desert. Um, and just remember the main characters and the themes of that story, which I'm sure you know. But let's read 21 through 23. Then Moses summoned all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go at once and select the animals for your families and slaughter the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop, dip it into the blood in the basin, and put some of the blood on the top on both sides of the door, of the door frame. Not one of you shall go out of the door of his house until morning. When the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on the top and the sides of the door frame and will pass over that doorway. And he will not permit the destroyer to enter your houses and strike you down. Okay, so in the rest of this story, this sets up the rest of the story where they celebrate. This is where it comes from. This is where the festival comes from. And then there's a bunch of rituals following this that they follow. A bunch of details. So God is delivering Israel from slavery. That's what this is about. That's the whole idea of this festival. He's delivering them from Pharaoh. Pharaoh, in the whole meta-narrative thus far, so think of creation 
and the calling of Abraham and the people of Israel and Joseph and going to Egypt. Think of the whole thing. Pharaoh is the worst dude yet, by far, right? And because what is, what is more evil than extreme power? Egypt is the most powerful nation in the world at this point. And Pharaoh is oppressing the helpless to the point of death. So that's what the ten plagues are about, especially the last one, the one that Passover addresses. Um, it symbolizes God enacting justice and trying to recalibrate the evil desires of Pharaoh, of the powerful Pharaoh. Each of these plagues undermines Pharaoh's claims on divinity and establishes God's divinity. But at the same time, it shows God's mercy when he provides a substitute and provides a way out for the Israelites. So after he miraculously gets the Israelites out of Egypt, he guides them through the Red Sea, right? Just think of this humongous water miracle. Keep that in mind, water miracle. And then he leads them through the desert and provides for them all the way through the desert where there's no food, right? Manna. Think of manna. Remember the Passover. Remember the unleavened bread. So only after this whole journey, this awe-inspiring journey, that shows God's rescuing love of a seemingly random group of people, right? These people who are just descendants of a, of a nomadic pagan, that's Abraham. Only after this journey does God make a covenant requiring obedience to the law. So on Israel's journey toward God, grace precedes law. God makes the first move. Passover commemorates deliverance from death and bondage. That's what this festival is all about, right? This 400-year slavery. And actually, the Hebrew word for Passover, Pesach, uh, isn't really done justice by the word Passover because... It has the concept of protecting. So God didn't just pass over the doors with red on them. He actually protected them. And then he keeps protecting. Okay, now we know the background, this scriptural background. Let's look at the actual ritual that's performed during Jesus' day. So they have this lamb. They slaughter it, right? Cut it open. Blood is going all over because it has to be a living sacrifice. And then they spread the blood on the door frames. And then they feast on the lamb. They roast it and they feast on it. What, so what does this mean? Why are they doing this? The, the concept is they're remembering that God is providing a substitute and that freedom is costly. Okay, let's look at another part of the meal of this ritual. The unleavened bread, the bread without any yeast in it. So in preparation for this festival, Jews had to remove all traces of yeast from Jerusalem, right? So they get rid of all the bread with yeast. They either burn it up or they have to eat it, scarf it down. Uh, they get rid of all the crumbs. They even go in like the corners of the cellar with their little candle and they clean it all out. They have to get rid of all the beer that they had. But think of one of yeast's defining characteristics. It permeates everything it's used in, right? Like think of friendship bread if you guys have done that. You got this little piece of dough with some smells sort of funny, and you put it with the rest of the dough, and it spreads throughout. That's kind of how yeast is. It spreads. It permeates. But what does this represent? Why, why is this unleavened bread part of the ritual? 
It represents the haste Israel left Egypt with. They didn't have time to put that lump of dough with the rest of the dough and let it spread. They had to get the heck out of there before Pharaoh changed his mind, right? So they're running away. That's what it represents. It reminds them of that. It also, this unleavened bread, calls attention to the manna in the desert, God's provision in hard times. He know, God knows these people can struggle. He knows they will struggle, right? They've been through slavery. They're going through the desert. But this manna represents God putting himself in the struggle with them. And remember the qualities of yeast. It permeates. And during Jesus' time, it came to bring attention to the concept of purity. Right? So impurity can spread throughout our lives. Sin can permeate our lives. And that's what they're remembering, too. They need to be pure. Another part of the meal is these bitter herbs. And bitter herbs can mean anything from, like, kale, lettuce, broccoli, arugula. It seems like they didn't like it just as much as I don't like it. But they remembered this. This called to mind the bitterness of their oppression, right? The bitterness of being worked to death under Pharaoh. But not only that, it recalls the bitterness of the suffering of the Egyptians under the plagues, right? They're sympathizing with the suffering of the Egyptians, and they're remembering that. Even in Jesus' day, it's interesting. Another part of the liturgy is the Song of Songs is sung repeatedly, and it's, it's kind of like, why, why would they do that? But during Jesus' day, these scriptures were read as an allegory of the relationship between God and Israel. So this covenant relationship is going on, and they're remembering that God is committed to them and that he loves them. More scripture that's sung continuously during this ritual is uh, Psalms 113 through 118. And these are all prayers of praise. So they're remembering and they're thanking God and praising God for rescuing them continuously. So we can see how this meal, the meal itself, calls attention to how God brings justice on human evil and liberation from it. My family has fondue every Christmas Eve. I wish it symbolized something, but we just like it. Anyways, this, this meal calls attention to the story of political and spiritual liberation. It focuses on one of Israel's most important characters in, salvation, in the salvation story. That's Moses. Remember the main character of the Exodus. Moses is, is God using someone to bring Israel back to himself. That's the end game. Israel towards God. Okay, now we know where this all comes from, what it all means, and these rich themes that permeate the whole atmosphere of Jerusalem during this time when Jesus goes there to celebrate Passover. So let's look at when Jesus goes there. In John 6, you probably know this story. This is when Jesus feeds a bunch of people, 5,000 people. It's crazy. But the context for this whole story is right here in John 6, verse 2 through 4. A great crowd of people followed him because they saw the miraculous signs he had performed on the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside 
and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover feast was near. As soon as they hear that word Passover, all these themes flood their minds. They know what this means. They know that this is the story of the Exodus. They know that the main character is Moses. And then Jesus feeds 5,000 people with bread, right? So they instantly think, oh, God's provision of manna in the desert. God is real. And so Jesus is saying that he's the new Moses, right? It's cool. And then, so yeah, the unleavened bread represents the manna. And then, further down the line, after this feeding, people are thinking this. Jesus says that he is the bread of life. Verse 35. So he's saying, this provision is me. Interesting. He says this to his disciples. But right after he feeds them, too, he performs a water miracle. He walks on the water, right? Just like Moses in the Red Sea, there's a water miracle. They're making these connections for sure. They would instantly recognize that Jesus is portraying himself as a new Moses. That's why they try to make him king. They're focused on their political oppression by the Romans. And they try to force him to be king, and they're thinking he's going to force the Romans out. But Jesus is making a different point. So he slips away, right? He's super sneaky. It's some other point. It's some other kind of oppression that Jesus is addressing. Okay, let's look at John 2, 13. So this is really early on in Jesus' ministry. We talked about this concept last week, the new temple, how we're the new temple. So 2.13, when it was almost time for Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. So again, all these themes flood their minds. They know what Passover is about. They know the meaning of it. It's super rich in their minds. And this is the context of how Jesus redefines the temple. Right? Passover is a temple-centered festival. And Jesus, as the new Passover lamb, redefines that festival. And he redefines temple. Okay, let's look at the last Passover in Jesus' life. This gives context to John 13 through 19, which is the last day of Jesus' life, basically. And it makes it really rich with meaning. So John 11.55 says, When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, many went up from the country to Jerusalem for their ceremonial cleansing before the Passover. So it's during the Passover. This is the context of the rest of the story of Jesus' life, which is just another day. And then he's killed. But this is the moment during Passover, this is the moment that Jesus makes clear that he fulfills and redefines what the festival is all about. So what is this redefining? What does this mean? What he's getting at, how do we remember it? What is the symbol? The symbol for us is the Eucharist, communion. So we saw Jesus is the bread of life. He is God's provision for us. Jesus takes the Jewish theme of Passover, which is mainly remembering the Exodus. He applies it to himself. He says, remember me. He says, remember my life, my death, my resurrection. 
he's using the festival to give deeper meaning to his own sacrifice, which is going to happen in a few hours. And the importance of meals in this community are paramount in the culture of Jesus' day. Meals are how you connect with people. They, they're how you create fellowship and like just build relationship that's real. So altars are super important, right? This is a temple-centered festival. Altars are seen as meals shared with God. So they're a connecting point between us and God. That's what the Jews are thinking. The meat is sacrificed and is shared by God and the offerers. That's why everything is roasted and eaten. And then some of it's burnt. But Jesus is offering a new meal of fellowship with God. That's why he offers the cup and he breaks the bread, right? So in 1 Corinthians 5, 7 through 8, Paul is saying that he believes the Messiah has come. That Jesus is the Passover lamb. And that the new exodus is taking place in the present. Jews during Paul's time, just like during Jesus' time, are waiting for a new exodus, a new redemption when the Messiah comes. But they're thinking political. And Jesus has made us new lumps of dough. So we're lumps of dough without the yeast in it, right? Before the friendship bread touches it. There's no permeating ingredient, which is sin. Paul is calling to mind all the theological meanings of the Passover meal, right? God's provision, substitute, deliverance from oppression, and all this leads to a covenant, which happened for Israel at Mount Sinai. But Paul is saying that Jesus is the new, redefined, fulfilled Passover. Jesus is Paul's sincere and true exodus from sin. So just like God uses Moses to make a way for Israel to return to deeper relationship with himself in the Exodus and Passover remembering that, Jesus is using Passover to communicate that he is the new, better, redefined Moses. Jesus is making a way for all people to exit slavery and return to God. God is our freedom. And Paul in Corinthians is speaking of the removal of immorality from the church, using Passover as a metaphor to make it more rich. But immorality is just a result of slavery to anything but God. Slavery to the will of God is true freedom. So removal of an ingredient that permeates our lives is what Jesus is after. Grace preceded law when Israel journeyed from slavery to obedience in relation to God. And Jesus is making the same point with Passover. Jesus is making the first move. Man, what a relief it would be to be free from that permeating ingredient. God is making a way for, for us to exit slavery into freedom. When we put Jesus' blood on the doorframe of our hearts, we begin making our way out of the desert of slavery towards the oasis of relation to God, deeper relation to God and each other. I wonder what it looks like to be free from addictions of all kinds, free from despair, free from oppression, free from being oppressors. 
Today's exodus may be God delivering us from whatever oppression we experience, self-inflicted oppression included. Today's exodus is certainly God is making us free from sin through Jesus. In the exodus, God is taking a people who are wired for struggle and telling them that they are worthy of love and belonging. Jesus is taking us, a people wired for struggle against sin, and telling all the nations that we're worthy of his love and we belong to him and to each other. There is no question that sin permeates our world. I have no doubt that sin permeates my life. I know it does. Even in this state, though, God rescues and loves me. Jesus is perfection for us. So what, what exactly are we slaves to today? What is this permeating ingredient? What does it look like? It could look like self-medication through a bunch of different things, self-medication that leads to addiction through substances. I tend to self-medicate through fun. I like skiing, you might know. <laughs> and I have to be careful that it doesn't just become a selfish self-medication. We might be self-medicating through our jobs, trying to just work everything away, or self-medicating through just trying to buy our way out of everything and getting into debt. These are things we might be slaves to. We might be slaves to certainty. So saying, I'm right, you're wrong, end of conversation. This is what ultimately kills Jesus, right? This attitude of I'm right, you're wrong, and that's it. But Jesus is promoting a love of mystery. He's saying we can hope for something that we can't be completely sure of. That's this faith, this tension between certainty and uncertainty, believing and not knowing. We might be slaves to pretending. I know I struggle with the slavery of the endless pursuit of getting people to believe something about me. But Jesus shows that we can be authentic and still have love for one another. Imagine a community shaped by Jesus that looks at each other, sees imperfections, but decides to say anyway, you're worth love. You are worth connecting with anyways. Because Jesus does the same for me. God's always tearing away veil after veil. That's what revelation is, right? Making things more clear. He, God let himself be seen by Israel through the exodus. God let himself be seen through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. That's the ultimate revelation. So we can let ourselves be seen fully. We can reveal things about ourselves. We can, see, we can let others see our imperfections. We could be a community totally free from being enslaved to self-medication, addiction, certainty, pretending. We could be free to love with our whole hearts. That's what this would be. To connect on deeper and deeper levels with each other and with God. That's an oasis. We'd be, grateful, we'd be free to be grateful to God and each other and embrace joy. Today's exodus is a result of God saying to us through Jesus that we're worth freeing. 
We're his children. He gives everything to bring us out of the desert. He tells us we belong with him. We are the new temple. We can be God's tool to get people out of slavery, just as we've been brought out of slavery. We can spread freedom. This exodus, today's exodus, is for everybody. This death that Jesus went through, this sacrifice as the new Passover lamb, defeated death and slavery. Let's pray. God, thank you for these symbols and these words and connecting with us and revealing yourself to us and help us bear you to others. Thank you for being within and without us and uh, making us bearers of your glory for others. Thank you for making a way for us to get to freedom, to get to deeper relation with you and each other. In Jesus' name, amen.